Running sales, promotions, and discounts is something almost every store does. And there's no promotions app more advanced than bold discounts. It's the easiest way to set up and automate a sale without coupon codes. Think of bold discounts as your store's advanced sale engine. The amount of flexibility in this thing is wild. Listen to this. You can choose whether or not coupon codes are allowed during a sale. It supports smart deal stacking. Let's say you've got overlapping promotions. The app will automatically choose the best offer between the two. And I love that you can add custom HTML to products on sale. So this is great for easily and automatically adding wording to your products like clearance sale, all sales final, etc. They've even added new sales icons and countdown timers. So now if you're running a store-wide sale, you can add their countdown timer in your header, homepage, wherever you want. No coding needed. And that's just scratching the surface of stuff it could do. So if you're looking for a way to automate sophisticated sales in your Shopify store, maybe for flash sales or upcoming holidays, Bold Discounts will get you up and running within seconds. And as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their discounts app free for two months. To get this special offer, go to kurtelster.com slash bold, and you'll be able to install it from there. That's kurtelster.com slash bold. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. Tell me about your homemade pizza journey. Oh, man. <laughs> so one day during the pandemic, I got some Pillsbury pizza dough. Oh, no. Thumbs down. Because right we away. had it. And I shoved it into a skillet, cooked it for eight minutes, put some like ovalini on there, some good tomato sauce, some fresh basil. Boom. Amazing homemade pizza. It's not amazing. Pillsbury dough. Get out of here. So I went, I told you this, and you were like horrified. And then finally you sent me a recipe. And I knew... I'm terrible in the kitchen, but I do. I could bake, um, and I made just a pound of sourdough from this recipe, and then why my pizza's like ten times better. And so I'm on this quest to make the perfect pizza. So if you have a Shopify store that will sell me a pizza peel or just like stupid dad gadgets for making pizza at home, I want to know about it. Uh, my brother. So my pizza journey. Uh, my brother is an insane pizza chef who makes. Four real Neapolitan pizzas that are now made. your brother, the data scientist, or your brother, the Coke dealer, the <laughs> as in he works for Coca Cola, <laughs> the data scientist. Okay, uh, who lives in San Francisco and is like you know obviously better than all of us. Uh, <laughs> he he makes incredible like Neapolitan style pizzas, and he's like buying special flour. He's like you got to get the double X flour. Like he's like you, where you're just annoyingly over optimize every aspect of your life and <laughs> want to punch you. He's that same way. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. And he spent one birthday, like we went over to his apartment in Chicago when he still lived here for a birthday party. And he spent his entire birthday party, just like slanging pizzas out of the oven. 
It was incredible. It's terrible birthday for him. But he he had he had an audience. Yeah, he had people to appreciate his super pizza. Yes. So, but so so he Neapolitan. That's my dream. Yeah. I'll, I should ask him. He my, he sent me something. I got. I'll send it to you. But for my housewarming, he got me a four real pizza stone. That's like the metal steel slab, and I started using that. And now it's just been. It's the same thing where you're kind of like, you do it the first time, and you're like, wow, this was great. But I bet I could be better if I did X, Y, and Z. And then you do X, Y, and Z, and you're like, oh, this was better. So you just like keep coaching yourself up. This is how people should operate their stores. And their businesses. Instead of chasing the shiny toy, they should just like, what is, like, pizza isn't new, right? Just keep it simple. <laughs> it isn't it new. works. Just keep optimizing on that. Well, there's always this idea. It's like, people ask me, they're like, what's new? What's the hot trend? And the answer is, who cares, right? Like, go, your store should nail the fundamentals. The fundamentals are go make great pizza with your business. I'm looking up now because I think the steel he bought us, I looked them up and their store is on Shopify. Thank God. So like we want them to be our client. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's bakingsteel.com. Bakingsteel.com? Yeah, so if bakingsteel.com is listening to this. What up? What up? We would like, how about we'll do some stuff for you if if you'd like. Um, we'll trade. I need just a pallet of pizza steel. <laughs> it's very heavy. <laughs> yeah, so that would require a forklift, I'm sure. Yeah. Why did I buy this? But yeah, I'm like making dough. I made like an absolute perfect Chicago style tavern cut pizza that I was like taking photos of it and sending it to everyone. Like, <laughs> look at this shit. Look oh, at there this. was detail photo. We had like the crust. You're like, you got to use the cornmeal, which I I always check the cornmeal. Yeah. That's like Chicago bar pizza has to have that cornmeal on yeah, the crust. Yeah, well, helps with the sliding. Uh, but yeah, my fave homemade is that like I grew my own basil and I was having like bacon, basil and prosciutto. That was just incredible. I grow my own hydroponic basil. I know you made me look at it before we started recording. I love it. My rabbit loves it. It's delicious. <laughs> That's what I put. I put hydroponic basil, <laughs> you know, the chronic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The fa- yes, the famous chronic that Dr. Dre spoke of basil. Yes. Uh, all right. We today in the unofficial Shopify baking show. We- <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad with dough. I'm really? terrible with it. Yeah. Julie hates it. I like it. Emily, thank God, is an excellent dough roller. So I'm like, <laughs> get to it. I mean, I, I'm going to screw it up at some point. But so far, I've, I've had a string of good luck with my dough. I mean, again, my brother, he's not even rolling it. He's doing the thing with the fists. And he's what? like, yeah, no, he's he's a full-on Italian pizza guido in New York. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so today, uh, we're going to do a Q&A, an AMA. We got from our Facebook group, the Unofficial Shop Podcast Insiders. I posted up and said, hey, I want to know what you're struggling with. I want to know what your questions are. And uh, Paul, my co-host here, Mr. Paul Rita. I'm Kurt Elster, by the way. Tech nasty. And we grabbed... Tech tech chubby. (laughs) Am I tech chubby or are you tech tech chubby? chubby, Oh, okay. All right, we'll get Ezra to record another one. So, no, we got uh, got several questions here that you guys said you were were struggling with in your stores or just wanted to know. And uh, Paul selected them. I haven't seen them except for one. And we'll uh, we'll go through it today. And when I copied them down, I forgot to copy your names. So none of you will get any credit for this. I'm sorry. It's my fault. Yeah, but at least I don't have to butcher people's names and then feel guilty about it. My whole life is just beating myself up over stupid things. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, at least that's gone. I don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Shall we begin? All right. Answer. First one. When Kurt does a website audit using Hotjar, uh, heat maps and recordings, 
what are the top three things he's always looking for? Uh, this is a good question. Well, I mean, it's pretty much what got clicked on and what didn't get clicked on. Yeah, if we're going with top three, and it's not like I've got some some hypothesis I want to test. Like today, someone sent a good question. Um, John from eBike Generation, which is a cool, really cool site um, that sells uh, e-bikes. And he said, hey, do I want, you know, when we, when people click on the review stars, should it jump down to the reviews on the page? And follow-up question, in the heat maps, did anyone click on the review stars? So like sometimes, you know, you're going to go through the effort to do something. Should you even bother doing it? And we heat mapped it and we discovered, ah, 1.6% of people do click on those and it's not a heavy lift. So let's just do it. So if you don't have a hypothesis like that, it's just like, well, let's look at hot jar. Let's look at our heat maps. I like hot jar. I know a lot of people like lucky orange. Use the tools that, you know, fit your life. And uh, I'm looking for, like Paul said, hey, are people clicking on things that they shouldn't, right? Are they clicking on things that do nothing? And if they are, all right. Should we make those links? What yeah, should we do? I would with give that? you the. Uh, I would take issue with the way you phrase that. Oh, are they, all right, click, hit me. Are they clicking on things they shouldn't? Oh, you're no. right. The, are they clicking on things that we haven't made clickable? And what should we do to make that clickable, or at least make it seem like it's not clickable, or something? Well, you're right, because there's an important distinction here. Like the users are the, aren't the ones making the mistakes. We made the mistake. Yes. There's, I always phrase it to clients as like, especially we just launched two websites this week and I told both of them, all right, you know, the site's up now let's run heat maps because there's how we think people should use the site and how they actually use it. And we don't really get to decide on the second part. Mm -hmm. So no, yeah, I'm looking for like, all right, are they clicking on stuff that doesn't do anything? And can I remove that so to eliminate confusion or can I make it clickable in a way that makes sense? So it might be like, you know, we have photos of products in a hero section, but clicking them does nothing. All right. If people click them, should, all right, let's make those links. Um, or are there elements that are just entirely ignored? No one interacts with them in any way. Well, and maybe those you know, are just taking up space and load time and we can remove those and streamline the page. So like that's the top two I'm looking for. Um, and then number three is I want to know what. Uh, what's priority for people? Like, what's the thing that, you know, seems to be everybody's going to? Like, these are 80% of people are clicking on these three things. Ah, should, it, can we make that easier for the majority of people? Two things. One, slight digression. You mentioned e-bike Jen. Uh, he's also an excellent example of niching, niching down because does he That's sell, true. does he just, what does he sell? Bikes. All bikes? No. Uh, e-bikes e-bikes but for who i was like oh just all kinds of e-bikes nope e-bikes for hunting it's so specific it's so specific and it works it yeah it totally works yeah no so that's like, a really good business easy more focused uh the other thing uh that you look at we'll go to top four is you look to see if people hit the bottom of the page which is sort of a failure in and of itself like we want people to take an action before they end up hitting the bottom of the page but if they do hit the bottom of the page, what is the thing that they're always going to? And is that thing perhaps in line for a promotion closer to the top of the page? That one, you're right. That one's always fun because as you get down the page, obviously like people drop off. And by the time you're at the bottom of the page, you've got maybe 20%. Or what, once we're down to one out of five people who stuck around to the footer, what did they click on? And often you find if they click on nothing, that means, oh no, there was something they were looking for they couldn't find, 
or like there's it's usually like one or two things they'll click on and sometimes it's like return policy oh shoot okay then we need to make the return policy more obvious in the top of the product form yeah or maybe it or it could be like some uh about us type content where they're kind of like who are these guys yeah and get like a them. quick uh put that info into like above the footer yeah. i don't know hey paul how do you know when it's time to outsource your marketing versus learning to DIY it? I've outsourced all my marketing to you. <laughs> I did that on day one. <laughs> Smart. So that was me. That was my thought process. I outsourced all my development to you because <laughs> it turns out I'm bad at it. <laughs> I get a lot of Slack messages that's like, I did this. I'm stupid. I broke it. Well, I you know, I, I want to stay. <laughs> Like, if you're doing something bigger and it's something small and easy, I'll do it myself. But I also want to stay fresh and current, you yeah, know? Yeah, I want to keep my skills sharp. I get you. As a coder. Yeah, you're, I know you're always, like, in every email from a client for the past week or so when they're like, hey, we have a problem with this thing. You're always like, Paul, just put else if on it and it'll fix it. <laughs> and I'm like, that's that, that actually won't fix it. But you idiot. <laughs> good job telling the client that. <laughs> uh, my logic was sound. <laughs> I had the general idea. <laughs> He's like, he's typing in liquid. All right, so my, my level of development skills, I, I totally misunderstood how Elsif behaves. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> that tells us where we're at development-wise. That was good. Um, no, if honestly, how do you know when it's time to outsource your marketing versus learning to do it yourself? The advantage to learning to do it yourself is you could talk the talk. You, like, you will have a better comprehension of it. You'll be able to communicate with the person you hire. Uh, to handle it. So if that's like, if you have the, the time and the energy and the inclination, try to DIY it first because it's just going to make you better at managing the people who you do hire to do it. Or maybe you get lucky and you love it and you're good at it. So I'd always say like, try, if you can try and take that chance, DIY it first um, and then outsource it. Um, and then you'll, you'll be more confident in the, the outsourcing process. But as far as like, how do you know when it's time to do it? Uh, when you dread it, when you don't want to yeah. do it, when you can, the overlap between I got the spare revenue to outsource this and I hate doing it. That's, that's what I was going to say is our general rule. I mean, there's so many things that when you're running a store are like become your job and like all the various things you have to handle. And once you get enough money that outsourcing stuff becomes an option, you should just start outsourcing the parts of the job you hate. Yes. So it's like, when should you start outsourcing marketing? When you could pay to outsource marketing and you hate doing marketing. And it's now become the thing you hate the most. Yes. And eventually, if you knock out the other things you hate the most, marketing will eventually become the thing you hate the most. <laughs> and that's how business works. Yeah, but much. that really is. You got to make the pizza, man. You got to improve the pizza. Yes. Your first, I mean, four pizzas in, you're going to look back at that first pizza and be like, that thing was a piece of shit. But the moment you start to hate making that pizza, <laughs> let's call Domino's. <laughs> uh, All right, hit me with this next one. All right. Uh, how do you determine how much inventory to carry and do you have a system for managing it? Oh. <laughs> this is a great question. Also, I have no idea. <laughs> So I asked Andy Bedell, and Andy Bedell from Keysmart, who's a frequent guest, call-in guest, and he said, first thing he replies immediately with is, it's really hard. <laughs> like, I straight up copied and pasted this question to him. He comes back with, it's really hard. Uh, I've seen several companies go bankrupt because they ordered too much based on the current demand, then the current demand dried up. 
I've seen it happen many times where uh, someone's underwater and then they have to rush order a lot of units at a much higher cost because they didn't have enough and they're selling a lot of them. But he said, in general, you look at sales data for the last few months to make a prediction how much you need for the next few months, taking into account you know events, promotions, holidays, um, and uh, stops in production like Chinese New Year. But when you have new products, you really have no data. So you just have to keep it small unless you're really, really confident. So it sounds a bit, I mean, it, it's buying inventory, it's investing in your business. And like all investments, there's some risk there. Yeah, it's a gamble. So you want to balance between like, okay, what can we, what is sensible cash flow wise and what's going to be, um, you know, but you want enough where like you're not selling out. I don't know, it's tough. It really is. Yeah, I mean. It, it sounds like it, it's art and science. I mean, that's one of the more common stories I hear when I am seeing Shark Tank is that it's people that's like, I need cash for it. It's like, this is going so great, I but I don't have the money to buy the inventory to like continue my selling. Or I bought a bunch of inventory and now I don't have any more money. Now I sit on it. Now I sit on it, yeah. I and, ended up seeing Shark Tank because that's the show Emily demands when she gets home from work. Should, you know, there's worse things to watch. Yeah, she just like stumbles in the door and is like, a guy hit his butt cheeks removed and I had to... <laughs> I need to watch Shark Tank now because I had to deal with that. I've heard enough horror stories to know that uh, a guy got his butt cheeks removed is entirely plausible. I'm not kidding. A guy had to have his butt cheek removed. I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> so, Paul, uh, outside of standard email flows, such as the Welcome series and Browse Abandoned Carts, which, man, Browse Abandonment, that one uh, is, is really overlooked. What are advanced flows that are super effective that you'd recommend implementing in Clavio. Uh, the you just bought something flow, which is post purchase. Post purchase. I would prefer my term. I like you just bought something yeah, flow. Yeah, you just bought something flow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much you just bought something. Here's how it's going to make your life so much cooler. And here's some stuff you could do that's like you are, you already bought it. So you already had an idea of how cool it was going to make you. But here's some like extra ideas for how cool it's going to make you. I love this idea because it's a value add. Like, I already spent the money, and now I'm starting to have my guilt. Like, oh, man, I spent that cash on some stupid crap off the internet. That's like, describes 20% of my day. And so it, then if I get these emails that are like, hey, we're packing, we're, we're packing your order, and, you know, there's a, there's a house elf named Dobby that's packing it. This could be awesome. Like, all right, okay, I'm, I'm starting to take the journey. We got the story here. And they're like, hey, here's, you know, here's how uh, to use whatever we're sending you. Like, here's how to use it. Here's what you need to know. Here's what happens if it doesn't fit. Here's what happens if it's cursed, like whatever. Um, and, and take me on that journey because I want you to, when I buy that for, when I buy the item and I open that order confirmation email, that's when my excitement has peaked. Then when I open the box, my excitement is peaked again in between. There's a trough. The advantage to this post purchase flow is you maintain that excitement across. And then that way, when I open it, I'm like excited the whole time. And when I open it, I love it. And I know like, all right, if it didn't fit or, you know, it was, it was cursed by a dark Lord, whatever, like we're going to know, all right, I can return it. This is what I do. And also at the end of that, maybe the little capper is two weeks out or whatever, where it's like, Hey, uh, you bought that thing. You're probably wishing you bought that accessory, didn't you? Yeah. There's a little coupon for 10% off that accessory. Yeah, at the time, I wanted the accessory, but I was like, you know, I'm already spending a lot on this. I'm not going to get the accessory. But then two weeks later, I'm like, I'm having fun with my toy. And then they say like, oh, you know that accessory you wanted but didn't buy because you're fiscally responsible? 10% off, it's going to expire, better get it. I'm like, oh, now I have to. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's those uh, those post purchase accessory sales. Plus, it's really it's like a, it's a great way to head off bad reviews because you can always end those post purchase emails with like, "Hey, uh, any questions? Just hit reply to this email." Yeah, it's customer service. It's it, it's it, it makes them much less likely to be like, "Well, that was broken," like, and just kind of give up. Like it, they know that you're communicative. Yes. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. Um, outdoor voices. People always hold that one up as a great example of. Uh, transactional email, so I would check out uh, Outdoor Voices, and it's they're good products too. Um, so, Mr. Rita, for mid or high end products, if you want to get ambitious with your product page and turn it into something inspiring, like a landing page, do you recommend a pre purchase page or an extended one pager? What makes for a great product page? I don't get what a pre purchase page is. Okay, so say, like he said, um, he called Boom as, by Cindy as, Joseph. Boom by Cindy Joseph, as an example, <laughs> as a Firestone store. Yeah. yeah, Boom by Cindy Joseph. And uh, th- what they do is you go to an article that essentially that agitates the pain, that like describes, that educates you and describes the problem for, that the product solves, and then describe like the product, the solutions. Really, it's very educational. And then you end up on the product page. So, like, by the time you get there, they have primed the pump. That actually, it works really well. I, it's just I, a complicated way. I, uh, but I think of that as part of more of the... That's part of a marketing funnel. I was going to say, that's part of more of the marketing funnel. So, it's like, that doesn't fall under the penumbra of product pages to me. That's like, should I have pre-purchase pages in my marketing funnel, or should I be sending people directly to the product page? That is the other question. The product page is its own special entity that's existing no matter what, and we could just focus on that. Yes. So my ideal scenario would be like advertisement or email to, this is like, especially for a cold audience, advertisement to an educational page that then I get remarketed with the product because I visited that page, or I click through and now I'm on the product page. But I still want that product page to be long and then reinforce the content from the other page. Well, and I feel like the point, I feel like the thing with the educational page too, is that it can split the customer base where it's like at the end of the pre-sale page, they kind of have to make a choice of like which product they're going for. And then like, then you could segment them out by that. I think of that with the, with the big long sutra page that we made the magnesium one. Oh yeah. Sutra's why magnesium. Yeah. Page. So the why magnesium page is like that. Pre, here's why you, why you should supplement you magnesium. magnesium. Yeah. But then at the end of the page, it's like, here's three of our magnesium all stars. And then it's like, well, what am I, am I looking to get the balm? Am I looking to get whatever the other magnesium things are? Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't get the point of the pre-purchase page that then just takes you to a single product at the end. I don't see the the efficient the efficacy. It's for of cold that, traffic. You're the you're smarter than me. It's cold traffic, okay. or you do it set it up like the way a sutra does, where it's like this general educational page that kind of encompasses, you know, the majority of their product catalog. Yeah. Uh, so I think the answer is ideally do both. Yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, for a great product page, we want big, nice images that makes it look nice. <laughs> Make it good, not bad. Yeah, you know. Um, no, so what makes a great product page? Well, I think number one, 
focus on your product description. If your product description is like three bullet points, you have work to do. Yep. You know, look at those Amazon descriptions. They're always like 500 to 1,000 words. They're big. And it starts with bullet points, and then it's got you know, paragraphs, and they use like um, these copywriting formulas uh, generally when they write descriptions. And then they'll break up to make it, because people don't read on the internet, they scan. They skim. So you break it up with um, yeah. headings and images. Yeah. You just don't want that big like wall of text. Yeah, I mean, I mean and it's have big images and side by side with it's like here's the cool here's a specific cool piece of information here's text like of an image of it here's text describing that cool piece of information do it again do it again do it again like you're just every bullet point should actually be its own paragraph with corresponding image uh, I think you just nailed it. Yeah, yes. pretty much. Um, it's like, all I know is there's four factoids. I put them in a list element. We're done. Nope. Yeah. Every really, single one of those should be its own image and paragraph. The answer here is copywriting plus readability. Yeah. Um, and some annotated images. Now, if you listen to the episode from March 30th with Josh Frank, that entire episode is us talking through, here's how a product detail page should work if you're optimizing it for conversion. And I believe I did reply to this one because she posted it on Tuesday. And I was like, listen to the podcast that came out today. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Hold on, an, an offer here has arrived from our newest sponsor. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15%? Well, you could stage a PR stunt where you launch an employee into space, or you could just use Zipify one-click upsell. Created by the owner of a $100 million e-commerce store and trusted by over 8,100 Shopify merchants, one-click upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross-sells. So you can make a traditional and effective pre-purchase upsell right from the shopping cart or make post-purchase upsells immediately after a customer completes their order. And with mobile-optimized offer pages that drive sky-high conversions and built-in split testing for maximizing your results, it's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $139 million in sales. And it only takes a few minutes to install it, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue overnight. So to start your free 30-day trial, go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash Kurt, K-U-R-T. And once you're there, to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. And back to the show. How to do a successful pre-launch campaign for a subscription box. Kickstarter? <laughs> uh, well, okay. The fact that it's for a subscription box, I don't think makes a difference for the fact that it's a pre-launch campaign. In fact, I think a subscription box probably lends itself to pre-launch campaign because you could say, hey, we've are for our first month. Like this is the, this is the can this is, you, know, you describe the subscription box. Um, you know, this is what we're selling. This is what you get. Ideally, you can get some exclusives, free samples. You know, the bo the contents of the box need to be higher value than the subscription. And then for the the pre-launch campaign is any launch campaign, we want to combine scarcity, urgency, and ideally social proof. And so the social proof element's a little hard here. You know, maybe you send some uh, early preview boxes to influencers and get like reaction video it would be cool. Um, but no, it's it's scarcity and urgency. So you say, hey, you know, we're just starting this out. And uh, for our, our first 
uh, our first month, this is you know, the stuff we guarantee like this much value, and uh, but we're limited to you know only a uh, hundred people, and so we've got we've got some scarcity there. And then all right, because we know we're gonna mail them all out on the fifteenth of next month, you, you have to have signed up for our subscription, you know, in the next two weeks. I think those two, and you get the countdown timer on there. Um, I heard there's an app called Crowdfunder that's got scarce. You could show uh, the inventory left and or not the inventory left. You could show like the goal and the revenue. That would work for this. I heard that app sucks. What? That app's great. <laughs> uh, I mean, the problem with the subscription box is not the first month. The problem is the fourth month. Right. Or It's like you can get as many first initial subscriptions as you want. The problem is the churn of people yeah. dropping off. And then you got to spend 10 bucks a customer to get the next subscription. And then they drop after two months and you haven't made any money. Yeah. Anecdotally, like I've never stayed on a subscription box particularly long. I haven't done them in a while. I mean, that's why they were the entire podcast ecosystem for so long is because they were like, ah, we need more revenue. People keep dropping off. Like they just need to keep burning money to get because of the churn. We do the food boxes, but my wife rotates through them. Because you cancel one, yeah, and then you do another one, then you cancel that one, go to the third one. By the time you're on the third one, you're getting a coupon from HelloFresh for 75% off if you rejoin. Yeah. So she just keeps looping through them like that. Yeah, talk about income redistribution. This has been going for years from, now. <laughs> from VCs to people getting food boxes. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's how they're funding that. Um, all right. What do we got as our next one? Uh, is there a way to manage one inventory across two doors? Two stores. I own two stores. Store one sells widgets. Store two sells different project products, but also the widgets. There's a reason I have it set up like this. Blah 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 blah. Uh, ERP systems. So you're right. The answer <laughs> is ERP system. But I'm very smart. An ERP system, you know, is going to be expensive and painful. There are actually, if you just search Shopify, like in multi-store Shopify inventory sync, there are plenty of apps out there oh, cool. that will do this just in a straightforward, non-insane fashion. I didn't know that. And I know, like, th there are plenty, you know, he presented as like, you know, I have this because reasons, but there's plenty of people that are in this situation. And it's often because like, hey, we're selling this, but we're, um, we're localizing our stores to different geographies. Uh, so off the top of my head, I don't know of one um, that'll work for this, but honestly, just Google it. This one, I swear, you, you could find a, a sane app to take care of this for you. So someone said, I heard someone talking about using collections for SEO purposes, creating collections to use as landing pages, targeting long tail keywords like red shirt, red short sleeve shirts or blue slip on shoes for men. It makes sense. My question is, can you have too many collections on a Shopify site? Like, will they stop letting you have collections? No. So, I, yeah, you, you could uh, functionally create unlimited collections. I've never run into a limitation on the number of collections I can create. Should you do this? Uh, I don't think so. It's... It's going to be so hard to wrangle. I don't know if... Assuming we have some, like, SEO tool that will barf out our long tail keyword phrases we want to target... Then we could use and I don't. Are we talking about like five things, ten things, a thousand things? I have a question. I don't know anything about SEO. I really don't, or uh, so many things. But if I just made a collection called "red short sleeve shirts," does that just exists in my store? Does that mean that 
slash collections slash red short sleeve shirts now just exists on the website and Google will Google will read it. This is a good question. And the answer with uh, in the case of Shopify is yes, because in the background, unbeknownst to you, there's uh, sitemap.xml, which is a machine readable index of every single page on your site. So and if you create a collection, that collection will be automatically added to sitemap.xml. Yes. Okay. And then if, uh, when you register your site with um, Google Search Console, formerly called Google Webmaster Tools, you give it that sitemap, and now it will check that periodically and make sure it has everything indexed. And so, yeah, you could create this. If that's done, you could create this collection, do nothing else, it will get indexed in Google. Now, whether or not that shows up in a search for the phrase you're targeting yeah, is anybody's guess. Yeah, red short sleeve shirts, I don't feel like you're going to be ranking. Because, I mean, I mean, I guess if you have something, if you're just like cool Mickey Mouse gear is like one of your things before the lawsuit hits you. <laughs> uh, you know, they have such a bad image that I don't think they're, you have to be pretty blatant for them to go after you is what I've seen. And talking about, you know, the mouse, um, they regularly rip off product ideas from Etsy or so Etsy sellers claim, but I honestly, it looked like, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, they're doing like free R and D for them. Yes. It's like, Oh, that's a product people would like. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll get to work on that. Um, now, but as far as this SEO question goes, I'm I'm looking at this as, is this plausible? And the answer is yes, this is plausible. So try it, see what happens. Um, it may take a little bit of time for it to get indexed and work, but I would give it a shot. Uh, it, you know, I think I think it could work. Um, and then as far as like, you know, too many collections, et cetera, I don't think that's a realistic problem unless, you know, the only way I could see that being an issue is like you're going to... Um, you use a collection listing page, like you know, your domain.com, oh. example.com slash collections. Yeah. And then that prints out. And that shows everything. all the collections on the site. And then that page could get crazy. Yeah. That would get wild. But if you wanted to, you can modify that. So I got to say, there's a lot of stores I've looked at where I've ended up on that page for various reasons. And that page is like not even styled or set up properly. I, I don't think anyone actually uses it. No it's, one uses it. It's more like an administrative tool. Because, yeah. Because it's like, who wants to look at a collection listing of all the collections. Yeah. All right. Well, we just barfed out all the categories in no particular order. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. it's alphabetical order, I think. Uh, let's see here. One posting before it's gone live. What do you think of the Clavio product launch? Did Clavio launch something yesterday? Thought I saw got shared. We don't know. No, I and mean, then I have I've not attended a webinar. I've attended one webinar in the last twelve months. I don't know. I thought maybe like e-commerce guy news covered it and you read it re re read that if they launched something i didn't see it um i saw stuff about a webinar i don't know they have a they got a blog i'm gonna go look at their blog <laughs> i'm having trouble finding <laughs> great uh, hmm. i just remember like i i remember people talking about the webinar and i remember on um Twitter people like can you is it not starting for you can you not get in okay so I loaded up their blog I'm on clavio.com slash blog all right clavio announcements we're gonna have to edit this down I was gonna say this is great radio I don't I don't see anything that I think all right. is like part of a product announcement great job clavio I know they had a pro an announcement but I, yeah I 
looking on clavy.com i can't find anything <laughs> uh part two custom product pages is there any do's and don'ts uh don't hide shit what do you mean uh e-bike gen today uh he was like you know he asked us about the review stars and he's and he was like well right now when they click on it it doesn't take them to the reviews because he has he has a product he has a big tab navigation uh underneath his product photos and then he has description and that's a tab the tab that's selected and then if you want to see reviews you have to click on the reviews tab which then makes you see the reviews and it's just like why are you hiding it this isn't a newspaper we don't have only so many column inches your, your website can go on forever. Yeah. Like, don't hide anything. Yeah. And even if you, if you like it, for whatever reason, you have to do this where you hide content. I like the accord. I like accordion menu and, uh, have the accordion menu default open. Yeah. At least like the one we want them to look yeah, at. Like maybe let people dismiss things, which is essentially what you're saying, but don't make people engage in like an act of clicking in order to get more information. Um, yeah, custom product pages, any do's and don'ts. You know, I really don't think there are do's or don'ts because the, the whole point of a custom product page is that it's custom. Yeah. It's like you, you've got some vision that you want to, you, you want to implement and somebody's going to do it. I don't know. I think by the time you're in custom product pages, you're just, start, you're trying stuff. You're. Yeah. You're probably not making your first product before you launch is not custom product pages. Yeah. And if it is, like, don't waste your time. Yeah, why are you blowing all the money? Yeah, that's going to make you crazy. No, it's like you know what you're doing and you're trying new stuff, and then that's when you get into custom product pages. Um, but there's all kinds of cool custom product pages out there. Uh, if you're nerdy, DJI, the drone people, their like, product pages for their, their drones, really cool. They've got tons of info and like action shots and video and every possible piece of information you could possibly use. So really, like, as far as I'm concerned, a custom product page, I want it to be, I, I want it to be a, a functional, dynamic brochure where I can both learn entirely about that product and I could purchase it right there. That's the way I would look at it. Uh, all right. What do you use to automatically send a PDF to customers who request it? Doing it manually is taking way too much time. You had an answer for this. I do. And you, we could unpack this as like when he says who requested, like are they re what's going on here, um, and then you know, doing it manually is taking way too much time. So I'm assuming he's just hitting reply to an email and yeah. attaching a PDF. But now what you could do, so on on uh, my wife's site, we have PDFs available, and we use Shopify's free digital downloads app. And when someone places an order for a PDF product, it just immediately emails it to them. Same with um, the contractshop.com, exact same setup. We have used that app for years across several stores. It is solid. So even if it's, and I know if you're thinking like, well, this PDF isn't fr is, you know, is free. I'm not charging for it. The product can be free and you could still have it in there. Um, that might be a way to do it. Or you could just, you can upload it to settings files in Shopify and just link to it from an FAQ page. So I'm assuming people are emailing this guy. So he could have a contact on his contact us page. It could be like, hey, are you looking for this manual? Here's the link, download it. And they'll be thrilled. All or right. you put it on the product page. Yeah, or you, get, yeah, or you got that app. All right, I wanted to get to this one. What collection layout works better in mobile? One column or two columns? Uh, a, who knows? I don't think it's that big a deal. And, but also it depends because that two column can get very tight 
but I think it depends on how long your product titles are and how important the image is. Obviously, imagery is important, but if you're like selling shirts, it's the outline of a shirt. And if your product title is like 10 words long, it's going to look so gross on half of a phone screen. You know, so I think in that case, you want to do single column on phone. So, but if it's just like your product is your product title is three words, and then your product photo is not like that detailed, doesn't need to be that detailed on initial glance. Well, I think it also depends: are the product photos portrait or landscape? If they're portrait, oh well, if they're landscape, because check this out, right out. Okay. On my phone, I'm yeah. looking at Masuda sunglasses. Yeah, if they're landscape, you got to go one column. And it's it's a one-column mobile view because sunglasses photograph landscape. Yeah. So then it's always one column. So I think the answer, <laughs> like, there's not one hard or fast rule here. Yeah. It really just depends on what your product grid look like. And it's just, this is not that tough to experiment with. No, I was going to say, yeah, this yeah. is literally a 10-minute ch- I know in Turbo, it's literally a choice. That it's a theme just, setting, It's yeah. a theme setting that you could just check in 30 seconds. And if it's not that... I, it's something that I could implement in less than 10 minutes on the store just to like check it out, which one we think looks better. All right. So with that, I believe we have answered all of our AMA questions. Tell me, are you going to post your pizza recipe in the Facebook group? <laughs> I buy, it is not my pizza recipe. There is a book called like all the recipes from cook's country. Cook's country is like a PBS show. I think I'm not sure, but it's just like a cooking show. And my wife and I, ref- it's a giant Bible. It's huge. And my wife and I refer to it as the book. The book. When we, like in our house, if you're just like, check the book for something, the other person knows immediately what you're talking about. That is quite the endorsement. Yeah. So by the Cook's Country, it's got like 10 people all like Midwestern and smiling on the cover. It's super big. And, but just buy it and cook literally any recipe out of it. They're all spectacular. I love it. But yeah, there's a Chicago pizza recipe on there that I've made that's great. This recipe, this dough Kurt was talking about, that was a separate cast iron skillet pizza recipe dough in it. Oh. And I will find you the Greg Rita pizza recipe if you want to get hardcore. I do want to get hardcore. I'm ready to really (laughs) screw something up in my kitchen. All right, we're not doing better than that. Let's end it there. All right. Let's get out of here. Building an amazing Shopify store starts with an amazing foundation, a.k.a. your theme. Enter... Turbo. Calling it a theme almost doesn't do it justice. Instead, think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. It is one of the most configurable feature pack themes for Shopify available today. With predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. That's a metric ton, not a standard ton, by the way. It's easy to see why it is my own agency's favorite Shopify theme to work with. Not sold yet? Maybe this will help. You can save 20% off Turbo. That's $70 off the sale price of my go-to theme when you visit outofthesandbox.com unofficial and use code KURT20 at checkout. Best of all, try it for two weeks. And if you don't love it, Out of the Sandbox will give you a full refund. That's right, full refund if you hate it. You've got nothing to lose and a beautiful money-making online storefront to gain. That's K-U-R-T-2-0 at outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe.
If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.